In this week's update, the US market is sending a screaming message. Is AI getting too hot? And what's the status in commodities? My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only. And please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Okay, let's start with a bit of a thumbnail perspective on 2024. I've been talking about this for weeks now. The, the big picture for 2024 sets up very nicely. It all started late October when the Fed um, changed their tune and the market um, put in a big reversal and nothing has changed. In fact, if anything, uh, it's become clearer because we've had more economic data that confirms uh, peaks in inflation and peaks in interest rates. So everything is set up nicely. However, there are plenty of speed bumps out there. And I think you have to expect that 2024 will be a very volatile year. Now that's good if you're ready for it, because it means that you can sit back and wait for perhaps bigger dips in the stocks that you're uh, waiting on. And perhaps look a little, a little more critically if you own something that's that's had a really big run. So what are those speed bumps? Well, China growth is never easy to to get your head around because you can't necessarily rely on the data that it's not heavily manipulated. But it would appear pretty pretty definitely that the growth in China is nowhere near what people expected it to be. And that has enormous implications for not only commodities, but uh, in the non-commodity area as well. The next question is, have rate cut expectations in the US, have they run too far, too fast? I remember going back three months or so, there was an expectation that the Fed would start cutting rates in the second half of the year. And now those expectations have been moved forward to perhaps some rate cuts starting in March. Uh, although the odds of that have slipped back a little bit in um, in the last week or two. And of course, we've got uh, geopolitical risks just all over the place. Um, the, the Middle East really is a very unstable area at the moment and could blow up into anything. And it's very difficult to anticipate what the impact of that might be. Uh, there could be a significant impact on inflation. That could be the trigger that, that sends inflation back up again if there are interruptions to, um, to oil supply, uh, as one example. But just the rerouting of ships um, around uh, the bottom of Africa is, you know, is adding to times and costs, which uh, which all feed into inflation. So there's plenty of those geopolitical risks, and and you know who knows, maybe China might take the opportunity to move on Taiwan, uh, and that would be very nasty. So certainly um, the Middle East has the potential to be. Um, a bit of a trigger point for, for renewed inflation. But putting that aside, and the market seems fairly relaxed about it at the moment, is the key thing. Um, 2024 really does look pretty solid. Now, AI, of course, is contributing to what's happening at the index level because stocks like Microsoft and NVIDIA and Google and Meta are, uh, are just roaring off the planet on the basis of AI. And it would appear that you know, this is not hype that we're moving into the next phase of artificial intelligence. We're going to see much broader applications and see a lot more commercialization. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of stocks are going to do very well out of this. 
But certainly with some of the majors, you've got to ask the question whether some stock prices have run ahead of what is any sort of sensible valuation. And we've got several of the majors that I just mentioned that are trading on forward PEs, so not, not current year, um, but uh, forward PEs of 35 to 50 times, which is, which is very extended. Now, okay, their earnings growth rates are strong, but they're certainly fully valued to overvalued. So a lot of the future has been bought forward and it's, you know, it's never a good time to be buying into stocks when they're fully too overvalued. So that's the, uh, this sort of the backdrop, uh, American stocks ended up rising 1.2% across the week. And I think most of that was on, uh, on Friday. Um, the odds of a, of a March rate cut, um, are, are slipping fairly sharply. They were 70% a week or so ago. They're now down into the, the mid 50. So, uh, you know, my, my thoughts are that we should be looking to sort of May, June perhaps. Um, but look, the market is just marching on anyway, and as I said, driven a lot by the enthusiasm um, around uh, artificial intelligence. The US dollar index was marginally higher, um, thanks to the fact that uh, the 10-year yield popped back up again to 4.14, which is the highest it's been for uh, many weeks, which makes it even more curious, the incredible strength that we saw in the US market on Friday. Um, so, you know, those two things aren't really all that consistent. The VIX edged up a little bit to a bit over 13, but still on any measure that is fairly low. And the 10-year, two-year spread is still sitting in negative territory, but only by a minor amount. So let's go look at the charts. This is the S&P on a weekly chart. We've now got a clean and very clear breakout. Uh, we ran up to the end of last year to a double top. We had one week of consolidation and then that was it. And I thought the next two weeks have been extremely positive. So things certainly looking very good at the index level, but certainly the Magnificent Seven are um, contributing to that very significantly. Now, if we go and look at um, where the money's actually flowing, the NASDAQ is once again, um, accelerating in terms of its outperformance compared to the S&P. So through here, the line was rising, but modestly so. That means that the, S the NASDAQ was outperforming, but it was very choppy. Whereas this recent burst that we've seen in the last few weeks is, is very clear. That's very significant outperformance. So the point of that is the more aggressive sectors of the market are seeing the money flows. And, um, that demonstrates, a, a, you know, a lot of confidence. This is semiconductors. I, you know, I talk about this uh, all the time because it's so important and semiconductors have really had a huge burst and we had uh, greater earnings results from um, an outlook from Taiwan Semiconductors and a couple of others. So the outlook for um, semiconductor stocks looks very good for 2024. And that is huge outperformance versus the S&P. When we look at it on a sector level, XLK technology had a, had a booming um, couple of weeks. This is the last quarter. So XLK, XLF, um, 
XLY, which is consumer discretionary, and then XLC, which is again an aggressive part of the market, certainly leading the way. If we zero in on the last uh, couple of weeks, you can see just the incredible outperformance of XLK and XLC, so the two, um, the two most aggressive sectors of the U.S. markets. But significantly more money pouring into those sectors. If we look at Australia over the last quarter, there hasn't been a lot of change here. Healthcare is has recovered and leading the way, and certainly information technology uh, also was doing uh, something similar, and energy still bringing up the rear. Energy in Australia has got two issues. One is what's the oil price doing, and that's been a bit weak. But secondly, there is just so much um, political interference in the um, in the energy market in Australia that it's it's very hard for investors to get confident and enthusiastic about that part of our market. So that's uh, that's the U.S. market. If we look at the currencies, there's the U.S. dollar. We bounced off this key support down here at one hundred and a half. We've had a little bit of a little bit of a run up, but um, but nothing dramatic there, and nothing also nothing dramatic happening with the Australian dollar either. Just checking in quickly on the ASX 200 again on a weekly chart. We're sitting at all-time highs, but unlike the American market, we haven't broken out yet. We've pulled back, and if you look at the the ASX um, 200, the the P, the average PE is above the normal historical long-term average. So there's nothing particularly attractive that would compel, would compel me to you know, go and buy any of the top 100 stocks in Australia. There is much, uh, much better hunting elsewhere in the Australian market. Okay, so it's 65.36 is where we finish. Our index down uh, 1% across the week. And look, is it the rest we had to have because we had a, a good run up through November and December? Or um, are we going to just follow the US in a couple of weeks lag? Don't know. Don't really care too much. Uh, don't focus very much on the top 200 in Australia. There is some. Um, much better opportunities further down. Precious metals, gold um, finished at 2029. Um, and it's still really a hostage to this, this debate about the interest rate cut. And that's probably one of the biggest impacts at the moment um, that's holding gold back. Will um, where, When and by how much will interest rates be cut? There is certainly no question there's more than enough geopolitical risk out there to warrant a breakout and uh, and the emergence of a, of a renewed uptrend, but it's been in that position for for quite a long period of time. Converted into Australian dollars, we're just over thirty one hundred. Precious metal stocks, just no real momentum there either on a global scale. There's there are a couple of bright spots in Australia, but equally there um there are a couple of negatives as well evolution mining got hammered down through the week by around 20% i think it was um on um on some news uh, announcements that they made um so things not traveling all that well for uh, some of our major gold producers 
And if we have a look at um, at the gold market, uh, there's gold on a daily chart. So we had significant moves down on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then a partial recovery on um, Thursday and Friday, giving us a weekly close. Like thus, um, we're still, I guess, if you want to be optimistic, you could say that this is coiling beneath this big quadruple top. Um, and if that is the case and it does break out, then I think gold will be off to the races because technically this goes all the way back to August of 2020. And when the price of anything has been held down for a number of years, the momentum builds and builds. Uh, and when the breakout eventually comes, it comes with a significant amount of, um, of additional force, if you like. So, so question, we've got, we've got an uptrending channel happening in the, um, in the gold market. Let's through there, sorry. It's not giving me the option to create a parallel for some reason, so I'll just have to draw one in. There's a rough parallel. So we're sitting about the middle of the channel. So we've definitely got an upsloping channel on a big picture level, bearing in mind this is weekly. These lows back here were um, about uh, 15, 16 months ago, and we're in the middle of the channel at the moment. So it's, it's really anybody's guess which way this goes in the short term. And if we go and have a look at GDXJ, which is the proxy for how gold stocks are going globally, there's not much happening. Work that on a weekly chart. You can see this is 2020, huge recovery after the, the COVID crash. But since then, it's really just deteriorated and we're pretty much at the same level that we were at uh, 12 months ago. Nothing has really shifted. In fact, sorry, two years ago. Um, so nothing has shifted in GDXJ uh, in that time. Turn to other commodities. Copper is not doing much. 379. Nickel is really struggling. We've got a supply glut in nickel currently. Um, and it's getting, you know, the outlook has deteriorated. The longer term outlook has deteriorated to the extent that it would appear that BHP is even considering their options in terms of their, their nickel business. So, you, you know, you know that, that these are more than just shorter-term aberrations. There's also a bit of a wobble in the um, electric vehicle growth story at the moment. But again, the numbers, you know, can you rely on them? Uh, are they being cherry-picked for certain purposes? You know, it's really, really hard to know. But I think one thing that is very clear to me is that the transition to whatever target has been set, whether it's 2030 for emissions or 2035 or 2050, they're all completely unrealistic. The progress towards those objectives is just not going to happen. And one of the key reasons that it's not going to happen is the investments, the, the huge amount of money that's required is, is just the investments aren't attractive enough to draw in the amount of money required to make it happen by those dates. Now, the, the world is committed to, the, to this energy transition, but it's not going to happen in the time frame that, um, that anyone imagines. So we may not see the electric vehicle growth story progressing in quite the way that 
that was thought uh, just a year or so ago. We're seeing mine shutdowns. We've seen it in lithium um, and we're seeing it in some other uh, areas as well. First Quantum, which is a Canadian company operating in Australia, um, have shut down their mining at Ravensthorpe. Um, core lithium in, in the Northern Territory um, and, and a number of the um, uh, a number of smaller uh, nickel and base metals uh, operations in uh, in WA have either been shut down or are very close to it. So this is real. You know, this is not just a short term aberration in commodity prices. You know, the, the the decision to put a to put a mine operation on care and maintenance is not one that's taken lightly. So this this is not, uh, I don't believe, a transition that we're going to come out of uh, quickly. And that has implications for um, for the composition of your portfolio, as I've been talking about over recent months. West Texas Intermediate Crude was up a little bit, about a dollar, 73.7. Um, but uranium was really the the big talking point or continues to be the big talking point. It's the exception in resources and was up to 106. And if we have a look at the um, uranium chart, you can see it's starting to go exponential. It um, started to, to move up between June and October, but has really started to accelerate since, since October. And we're up over a hundred now. And I think there might even be a little bit of a, a couple of days of, time lag in this chart, we could even be a little bit higher than that. Uh, if we look at lithium, just another perspective for this year, I think the interim period to get back to supply deficits um, is blowing out and, and the shuttering of mining operations is evident of that. We've, we've also got Albemarle, the world's biggest lithium miner, is um, is, is cutting costs left, right, and center. So there's a lot of very concerned lithium um, operations out there. And you've only got to consider that the peak in the spodumene price was around $8,000 a ton. We're now down to $1,000 a ton. So it's, um, it's fallen a long, long way, and I think much further than anybody thought was, uh, was likely. Now, whether it's just a manipulation on the part of uh, of China who have the capacity because of their control over the supply chains um, to do that. Um, I th it would appear that it's still going to go for an uncomfortably longer period of time. I, I have no idea and I'm not thinking about when things might get back into balance. I think you can say that 2027, 2028, things are going to be really good, but you know, gee, that's three or four years away. Whether we get back into a supply deficit that would cause prices to go up um, next year, later this year, 2026. I've no idea, not thinking about it because it tends to color your thinking. But what I, but what is pretty evident and is, gets repeated in every cycle, in every commodity, is that many of the explorers will just not make it. They won't be able to raise the capital to keep themselves afloat, to do the drilling. Um, and that they, the ones that try to raise capital, are already we're seeing them having to do so at very significant uh, discounts to the current share price. 
So that's just has a huge dilutionary effect on, um, on existing shareholders. So there's only so far you can push that envelope. So many, many explorers are not going to make it. I think I can make that statement with, um, with a fair degree of confidence. So if you go back six months, I would have said, particularly in lithium, if you own good quality assets, but they may not be, you know, the biggest and the best in the world, then, you know, just wait it out because we'll get back into deficit and prices will go back up and everything will be fine. I, I don't think you can say that now. I think there's going to be a lot of seemingly good projects that just don't have the scale um, to get the funding and to be able to complete the offtake agreements. So, you know, that if you want to take one message out of this video today, it, it's that. I think we're going to see a lot of mining failures in the next 12 months. It's, it's, a, it's a very real issue now. It's not temporary. So I think you need to readjust your view, um, when it's, particularly when it comes to lithium. Um, the vast majority, I think, are going to struggle. And whilst they may eventually reach commercialization, the share price could go down a lot further yet. Now, some of them are off 70 or 80%. Um, from their peaks, but they could lose half their value again from there. So I think you need to readjust your view and only be supporting the very largest resources in lithium because they're the ones that are going to be attractive. Now, there are a couple of special situations, you know, strategic assets. They're not, they're not huge assets, but they're just strategically placed, um, generally around geography. Um, but apart from those, and there's only a couple of them that I'm aware of, projects really need to have at least 100 million tonnes to, um, to be considered a high probability um, lithium project. Now, you can, you can play the casino route on some others, but you don't have the odds with you. If you want to invest with a high degree of probability, then you need to be looking at projects of that sort of ilk, 80, 100 million tons and above. So it's a matter of, you know, do you want to invest wisely or do you want to just guess and hope it works out? So that's the situation with lithium. It's not a particularly pretty story. Wrapping it up, um, as I said, many resource groups are facing a pretty bleak future um, and many will go out of business. And you'll see them emerge in a few years' time in some other commodity. Um, realistically, the portfolio balances should have been adjusted heavily away from mining in the first half of 2023, which is certainly what what we did in the Insiders Club. Um, we, you know, effectively stopped buying um, uh, resource stocks at the start of 2023. And have pivoted away from that, and um, and have done um, done quite well from it. Um, I just don't see the odds supporting a near term turnaround that is worth waiting it out because at the moment the trajectory to the downside is um, is pretty strong. However, on the other side of the board, there is a, an absolute smorgasbord of opportunities in non mining, high quality growth assets. Um, and that's, you know, that's where our focus has been and where our focus will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Portfolio Analyst last week, we went through my 
uranium watch list and, and identified, um, you know, some of the opportunities uh, there and also touched on some very important trading strategy lessons as well. That's it for this week. There's the email address and more information on the website. Uh, I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.